We're going to look um, this morning at the kingdom as an economy of grace. The kingdom as an economy of grace. Um, we're going to start by looking at a couple of scriptures, and uh, I'm going to need a, a fair bit of interaction and participation for you to carry me this morning. So hopefully you're all feeling... Who's feeling brilliant this morning? Insightful, inspired, brilliant. That's great. This half is clearly the gifted half this morning. Uh, we'll be carrying, carrying you guys. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke 4, verse 16. Luke 4, verse 16. Which is up there somewhere. Yeah, it's um, the emperor's new verse. You can only see it if you're really intelligent. Excellent. This is talking about Jesus. He came to Nazareth where he had been reared, as he always did on the Sabbath. He went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant and sat down. Every eye in the place was upon him, intent. Then he started in, you have just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. The Jews of the day, as we've discussed earlier, were waiting for the kingdom of God to come. They were waiting for God to act in history. They were acutely aware of how stuffed up the world was, uh, how much pain there was, how oppressed their people were. A lot of them had hungry tummies because they were being overtaxed by the Roman Empire and the tax collectors that represented them. The common people, um, many of them felt like they would never, be, would never be good enough to be like the Pharisees who were accepted into the temple system and accepted into the eyes of God. The burdens on people were immense. And as often happens in these times of history, there was a crying out for God to do something. And this is what Jesus announced. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. And he sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. It's quite exciting, this idea of God sparking something and starting something. I think the first Step to understanding the mystery of the kingdom, which we'll probably never wrap our heads around completely. But the first step is to understand that the kingdom of God is God's initiative, which we are invited into. The kingdom of God is God's initiative, which we are invited into. Before we do anything, we ourselves enter and receive grace. Steve quoted a verse this morning, and it's in the Bible. I have no idea where. New Testament somewhere. I'm not an exegete. I'm a theologian. Um, and <laughs> Which is how you can get away with using Scripture badly. Um, but using philosophy well, so, you know. Um, he said, you know, it is not that we loved first, but that God loved us. It's not that we love first, 
but that God loved us. That is the key to the kingdom. When we understand that anything kingdom E in the world happens because Jesus announced that right now, right in the here and now, God is starting to redeem and restore all things, which is incredibly beautiful. So the kingdom is an invitation that as human beings who are in need of grace can walk into an economy of grace. Um, Prisoners don't deserve pardoning. Blind people in that day and age were blind, understood to be blind because of their sin. The burdened and the battered were weak and that was their own fault. But Jesus announced, this is God's year to act. The kingdom of God is an economy of grace. It's an economy of God's constant giving in the world to invite people into a new way of being, which isn't an economy of power, which isn't an economy of merit, which isn't an economy of the in stay in and the out stay in. It's an economy of grace where we all don't get quite what we deserve, but also where what we deserve has been renegotiated, that God gives us good things and invites us into a way where we treat each other as humans, no matter who we are. So the kingdom of God is an invitation, but here's the other hand. The kingdom of God is also a threat. An economy of grace is a threat to every other economy. An economy of grace is a threat to every other economy. We're just going to have a quick look at um, the, the, the man called the rich young ruler. He doesn't get a name. Um, this guy. Would anyone else like to read this out? Because I'm sick of my voice already. Oh, Ben, that'd be amazing. Thanks. The dulcet tones. Another day, a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, What in particular? Jesus said, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor, all your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so, crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. Awesome. So this guy wants to receive eternal life, which is almost interchangeable. Sorry, good skip though. Um, which is almost interchangeable with, um, with the kingdom of God, this idea of the coming age. Um, can I stand in a better place? Is that better for you? I just don't like ringing. Um, so he's, he's, he, he's looking 
to walk into and enter this economy of grace. But he's also living by an economy of power. He's a person of advantage. He's got the things he needs in life. He's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of power. And he doesn't want to let that go. So on one hand, he's clutching to a system of merit. And on the other hand, something deeper within him desperately wants to be on side with God and to clutch onto an economy of grace. But those two things don't always go together very well. We're going to look at one more verse, um, and hopefully when we bring these three things together, they'll make some kind of sense. Uh, can we have a lady, a lady voice? You don't have to be a lady, just someone with a lady voice. <laughs> Teehee. I'll put on my best lady voice. <laughs> Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want, to show you mercy. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Beautiful. Just take a moment and have a look at this. I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one is, where in this little passage do you see an offer of the kingdom? Where do you see an extension of grace? Um, <clears throat> I guess he's extending grace to uh, the Pharisees. Um, because if that was me, I'd get really ticked off with that question, <laughs> you know, calling his disciples scum. So rather than sort of, you know, have a go at them, he actually gives them a reply, which they don't really deserve, I guess. Yeah, beautiful. Where else? Who else has been offered grace in this? Right at the very beginning. The disreputable, you disreputable sinners. The Bible uses some harsh language sometimes. Surprised it wasn't bleeped out. Disreputable sinners. Unbelievable. So, we're going to skip to the end here, where it says this. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. This is a profound tension throughout all of Scripture. The sacrificial system is a complicated one. It's always existed in human. And anthropologists would say that sacrifices have always been made. And the Bible kind of accommodates, that God kind of accommodates the sacrificial system because it makes some kind of sense. The sacrificial system was administered by the people who ran the temple, who were the Sadducees 
and the Pharisees. The sacrificial system originally was supposed to be a symbol of profound grace. That even though we don't deserve it, that somehow God offers and God forgives, and it's symbolized by the sacrifice of something close to us. But we all know a lamb can't take away sin, don't we? The lamb doesn't even know what's going on. (laughs) Fortunately, the lamb doesn't even know what's going on. Only God's grace can take away sin. But in this story, the Pharisees have an economy, and they have an economy of power. The reason they hold power is because they run the sacrificial system, which was originally meant to be an offer of grace, but somehow over time got turned into a way of control. The tax collectors and the lepers and the blind and those who had mental issues, scandalous people, weren't invited in in the same way that they're reputable and the powerful and the rich were. So Jesus makes this claim. I want you to offer mercy. I want you to offer mercy, not sacrifices. Stop making people jump through hoops. Stop using what was supposed to be a system of grace as a means of exclusion. Instead, show mercy to those who need it the most, like my disciples are. What's the parallel between the rich young ruler and the Pharisees in these two stories? What's the parallel between the rich young ruler and the Pharisees? Yeah. I'm sorry I'm making you think so much on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Power? Yeah. Power. Power. It's power. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I just wanted us to spend a bit of time as we draw to the end of the Kingdom series to think about this whole idea. The healthier we think we are, the less we need grace. But a profound thing happens as well. The more powerful and healthy think we are, the less likely we are to offer grace. The greater the distance between our own fallenness, our own frailty, and our own need, the more likely it is that we will try and shut others out. The more likely it is that we'll do kingdom activity in very non-kingdom ways. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Zacchaeus and the labels that were placed upon him that he had rightfully earned. But that Jesus somehow saw through all those labels and saw the human that stood underneath. Seeking justice from our own need for vengeance will only ever make us persecutors of persecutors. It'll turn us into them. Seeking justice from an economy of grace 
will help us seek to humanize the oppressor and the persecutor. The Pharisees, once upon a time, knew their need for grace. But the more comfortable they got in their power, the more difficult it was to let others in. Purity, sacrifice, trumped, mercy, generosity, radical grace. The kingdom of God is an economy of radical grace. It's an economy of jubilee. Jubilee is this Jewish concept that every 50 years, any land that was paid, that was given to pay off debt, was given back to the original owners. And the premise behind it is this, is that we don't own land, God gives land. And so everyone deserves land. So when the economy creates ways of giving some people way more land and other people way less, an act of grace cuts that in half and says, no, we all deserve land to live on. Jubilee. Unfortunately, the economy of jubilee and the economy of merit and power and prosperity don't marry very well. For us as Christians who may be asked to give over our power and the things that we've gained from the systems of merit that we participate in, we're very unlikely to do this unless we have a constant, profound understanding of our dependence on grace. The sad thing is, is that the distance between becoming a door knocker, someone on the outside desperately asking to come in to the economy of grace, and a doorkeeper who then wants to shut others out is only about a foot, <laughs> the distance between those two points. When we receive grace as recipients of grace who are aware of our frailty and our need, we are so much more likely to be inclusive and open and generous and radical in our outworking of the kingdom. The further we get from that point, the more together we have it, the more we're aware of our own resources and power, our own advantage, the less likely we are to let those things go and offer that same grace to other people. I just want you to close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to take two little imagination games and parallel them together. I want you to think about the thirstiest you've ever been. The thirstiest you've ever been. Hold that taste of thick saliva, of a dusty mouth. And then I want you to eat some salty chips. And then I want you to lick a handful of sand. Can you taste it? Hold that. Hold that in your mouth. I want you to think of the worst thing that you've ever done. 
the thing that you are most ashamed of? The thing you regret the most, and if only you could, you would take it back. The thing that you need forgiveness for more than any other thing. I want you to thirst for grace and remember what it's like to be in that moment of desperation. We're going to gather around communion this morning. And this morning we don't have thimbles of communion juice. We have cups of cool water. I want you to hold that in your mouth and in your head. And we're going to gather around this table here and you can come and grab a small piece of cracker and a large cup of cool water and take it back to your table and then we're going to drink together of grace. People who are well don't need a doctor. People who are powerful don't need an economy of grace. But people with a deep need for something more desperately do. Unless we're close to our own frailty and to what we've been given, we'll never give our advantage over and we'll be more lonely for it. We'll seek justice and a form that takes revenge rather than offers grace and humanity. We'll keep our in-club and try and shut people we don't like or that we think don't deserve it out. We'll become rich young rulers. We'll become bitter, pure Pharisees. We'll become people of sacrifice, but not people of mercy. Each week when we gather, we eat and drink the greatest gift of all, and receive it on the same level. And that way we can participate in an economy of grace. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This morning, receive grace and keep it close to you. Let's drink living water together. Jesus, we thank you for your economy of grace. As we're challenged and threatened by it, let us remember how dependent we are on it. In your mighty name, amen.